Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Thanks to our episode sponsor, ODI. Now, I've been on these and only these grips for well over 20 years. How cool is that? I clearly remember we couldn't even get them in South Africa back in the day when I was a junior. The minute I got my hands on a pair of these lock-on grips, I never looked back. They are the original lock-on. They have an incredible range of options out there. But I want to tell you a little bit about something new they're offering. Drawing on over 40 years of experience of producing performance-driven grips and feedback from the extensive network of top riders across the globe, the Reflex Grip have been engineered to reduce impacts and vibration being passed onto the rider's hands to allow you to ride more with less pain and fatigue. Reflex Grips are the latest innovation in impact dampening to keep you riding longer and farther as they've been specifically engineered to reduce vibration like having suspension-free hands without compromising control. They use their propriety grip compound with its superior impact damping properties and couple this with responsive ribbed padding that actively flexes under your hands to reduce impacts and torsional forces. Now those are some fancy words, but let me tell you, this just really is gonna help you with less fatigue, less pain. You're gonna be able to ride longer. So what's not to like about that? Not to mention their version 2.1 lock-on grip system gives you the most reliable, slip-free grip performance available. Hey, if you want to learn more, head over to odigrips.com or pop into your nearest retailer. Hello and how's it? Hello world, welcome back. This is Moving the Needle podcast. I definitely don't think you're tuning in to hear me babble on. And I've got an awesome episode that's going to come your way. A three times BMX world champion, five times mountain bike world champion, a dual Olympic athlete. Now, I've crossed paths with her many a time, but this is why I started the podcast, is to reconnect as well as I get to research and see what uh, makes her tick. Um, she's an all-star businesswoman, entrepreneur, mentor, mentee. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't know how you have the time to rack up all these titles and give back and do all these things, but you said a little bit off air. First off, welcome to the show. And you're saying you're enjoying a little bit of sort of an, a come down after what was looked like a crazy season. I am. We were just mentioning the come down from this recent Crankworks Crown. Um, just spent the last six months overseas doing the Crankworks World Tour, a bunch of other events, and then on the side as well, I've picked up all of the field reporting this year. So more of leaning into the commentary space, which you know so well. So talk about being challenged, but yeah, definitely. Now that I've come home, the first few weeks home, I'm like, I actually feel like I was honestly on, on a huge come down. <laughs> so I had to find my feet again and get back into training the off season, a bit of that creative reset here at home. And yeah, loving it now, prepping for next year. Is it quite the challenge? I remember back then you'd get home, you'd, you'd obviously be eager to get home and maybe eager to switch off and not have to train and have to go to the anxiety of racing. Then you get home, you're not really in your schedule at home, maybe you haven't reconnected with all your friends. So you like their lives have gone on. And that goes even <laughs> yeah. for parents are pretty good at, you know, you just pick up where you left off. Friends, the good ones, of course, but you're not in the click. And I found myself a couple of days in going, Well, what was the point of coming home? I'm just sitting here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, I always kick off with my friends pretty 
pretty quickly. We do sprint class every Wednesday morning. So we go and listen to some early DMB and get in the sprint class breakfast. And yeah, definitely have a good riding crew. So Canberra is like quite a really good mountain bike hub in Australia. And I literally live an e-bike ride, like I'm five minutes from the local bike park, Stromlo, which hosted the 2008 World Championships. And yeah, I mean, I have my like little community and it's like a really good creative base to like reset and go again for the next season. Um, but it's wild, like we're September and contracts start getting done in October. And I like today, my admin was putting in my DD order for five bikes for next year, emailing Magura, like Cane Creek cranks, what can I change on my bikes for next year? And like, how can I just elevate? And like, this is always the admin point of the year where you're like, you're September, but the Aussie season kicks off in January and everything starts in January. So it's like, bike paint through trek um it's like a blessing and a curse I, I love the program that I run the fact that you know it's not like downhill you don't have world cup teams crankworks and bmx and like what I've created um within the industry my bike and then like 14 brands is like all the contracts and every piece is specced out from odi to dd to um the Trek obviously bikes and then I've got like stands, Maxis. So like, yeah, once you break down every part, every individual component, um, yeah, you end up just doing a bunch of admin at the end of the year, keeping everyone happy. So yeah, I love it. I wouldn't want it any other way. <laughs> but it seems like you're obviously doing this all on your own, right? And and you've built up this brand, which uh, I mean, I can't wait to pick into. And I know your dad was a big help in that, but you don't have like a agent or someone that's helping with ordering these parts and stuff not necessarily in the bike thing I think it's um kind of important just to like hold the reins on that and as an athlete you understand where the industry is at like right now the industry is in a unique position so when you're actually like hands on it you can have those like in-depth relationships so I keep everything to do with the bike industry like completely myself and then my management agency they do more external so they manage like Ford cars, Harley Davidson's, my makeup, my supplements, like they manage all external industry. And then I manage all in industry, which I would recommend to anyone. Like that's probably the best thing to do because once you get an external management involved in the bike industry, they don't know what's going on. They don't have, they don't understand small um, businesses that are bottling bike wash themselves. or They don't understand that the recessions, they don't understand, um, you know, restructures in companies or what's going on so I think if you can like keep your hands on the pulse yourself in the bike industry you'll end up with just better long-term relationships with the ebbs and flows and um, what goes on for sure yeah that's critical I think uh, some some athletes do struggle with the admin side and the business side that's clearly not something you struggle with so but I think having someone aware of the bike industry like an outside agent or agency you know they're dealing with way different budgets, way different ways of doing corporate. I mean, I've said to a few people, I mean, if some of the things you see in the mountain bike industry, it wouldn't fly in the corporate world. And and I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. it's good or bad. Sometimes I wish there was a little bit more organization on the mountain bike side. I think you yeah. could professionalize a lot of the communication and, and those sort of things. But if you brought someone from a big agency in or these management, I mean, they yeah, they could probably sort of soil a deal instead of making it better for you. but So what agency are you working with? Because I did look into it and you did some work with IMG in the past. Is that still who you work with? Is it an Australian division? Yeah, How did you 
find them? How did you come about that? Um, yeah, so the company's called Two Palms and they're an agency. They actually um, have a European arm, which everyone will be familiar in the bike world with How We Roll series with the whole FMD side. It's filming Tani and the whole Canyon team. Um, so Two Palms Europe actually manage that contract. So yeah, they work with GoPro Europe and the guys are always around. They were just at the Swatch Nines and it's pretty awesome to be like, over there on the other side of the world and you're checking in with like one of your bosses there partying having a great time and then you're back in Australia and then there's a whole the Australian arm yeah how I came about with them was I'd gone through a few different agencies in the past and then I was paying one on retainer hours just for their work but they weren't taking any percentage of the deals and that was awesome for a bit through growth because I had a lot of projects for them and I was writing kids books at the time and just like you know, doing a lot of like admin and setting up. Whereas now it was everything shifted. And I just said, Hey, I really want a brand that will hustle and really take 20% of things that they're getting. But if I hand it to them, they take 10. So that's like, they don't touch any existing contracts. And that's like what I tell everyone. I'm like, don't let any agency take any existing contracts or any of the work that you've done, um, don't let them touch winnings or performances or any of that. Just what they bring to the table, 20%. If you hand them a deal um, or if you're not coping with something and you say, oh, I just need you to manage this, then you know I feel like 10% is reasonable. Yeah, that's incredible advice. I mean, I've, I've had some talks with people as well. And I think sometimes if you're naive or you're not comfortable having the chats, you can really like the wool can be pulled over your eyes. Like it's oh, yeah. incredible <laughs> business sense that maybe you've learned the hard way, maybe you haven't, or you had good mentorship. I, I mean, looking at your Instagram, looking at where you've got, I mean, I read all those titles and listening to some podcasts you've been on and you were super professional about the notes for this one. <laughs> I think it's easy for everyone to go, oh, she's got it made. It was so easy. Or, yeah, I mean, she's talented on a bike and and what you have you. But maybe if we can take a trip, like how did it get to this point? Because people tuning in might just go, yeah, but that's easy to talk about when it's going good. Or you've got how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers and you're doing worlds first. But, you know, that doesn't come without hard work, you know, just – persistence as we said when we we're trying to deal with the tech issues getting into the call <laughs> that's what we said I mentioned to you I was like oh luckily I can ride a bike because tech is actually challenging it is hard I mean everything is hard and it's um I love a good challenge I think that's like one of the things I'm realizing now is stepping into the whole media broadcast space um, I just signed a deal with the Olympics to go and co-commentate BMX racing which was one of my, you know, I did BMX since I was five years old. I went to two Olympic Games and to now be like, all right, I'm going to my third Olympic Games, but for commentary and you're sitting on the whole different side of the athlete realm. Um, yeah, you've got to completely put your L plates on again. You've got to go back to being a learner. You've got to literally upskill yourself. I had like an amazing mentor chat the other day and I'm, I'm the first person to be like, all right, who can I speak to? How can I ask for advice? Like, how can I get help? And honestly, like everyone is always so arms open. I signed the Olympic deal. I spoke to Red Bull the other day. They just want to put me on for more broadcast events. And I'm like, I've done two events. I'm I'm not ready for this. So being honest and just being like, oh, like shoot for the top. Who can I talk to? So I thought about the action sport industry and I was like, where 
what's the pinnacle? And I was like, UFC. Uh, so I went straight to Megan Olivia and DM'd her and just said, hey, Megan, like, I know you work with Joe Rogan and you're on the broadcast and you've just hit UFC in Sydney. I know you're super busy, but like, hey, I've just stepped into this realm. Like, I really want your advice. And she gave me the time. We had like a two-hour mentoring chat. And no she, way. She just like unraveled so much good advice. She said, you know, you're going to be in Paris um, so after Whistler next year at Crankworks, I'll fly to Paris with the Olympic team. And she's like, you're going to be there with no basically producer help. You're going to be running around with skateboarding, with freestyle BMX. You're going to be interviewing everyone. You're going to be doing the co-commentary for BMX racing. She's like, that's a really big 10 days. And she said, the best advice I could give you is to like level up, go on online. And there's like so many skill shares and educational pieces. And she just said, um, learn how to be a producer and if you could understand how to what the broadcast and what the Australian Olympic channel is going to want to show and how you can like present the angles and deliver the broadcast she's like if you can understand that take a step back you can deliver your job and I was like okay this is like the best and worst advice that you've just told me but I'm glad I've got a year and I'm glad we've like just had this conversation so yeah I think um we come back to like, it doesn't come easy, but I've just had such a good like mentorship and I've always asked. And so many people have always said to me growing up, they're like, you know, you just want to get a really good team around you. And finally, like through all the struggles, um, like I, you have to do that apprenticeship. You have to come into mountain biking, BMX, whatever it is, and take all those product deals. You know, I remember I won my first world championships. It was four cross mountain biking in Canberra and Jared Graves was like on the podium as well and I knew that he was on six-figure deals and I was like not even on a bike sponsor at the time and I was paying for everything and you know like you've got to do those hardship years you've got to lay that foundation and and work hard and hustle and I look back now and I'm really like grateful for all of that um where it's kind of put me now is like I actually had a meeting today and Myself and another moto girl in the industry who's created a brand and a business out of like two wheels um, in a different light to what I've done. We've come together and just gone, hey, like, let's let's start a brand of webinars and masterclasses and like, let's roadmap this out for like the generation coming through now and be like, you know, this is this is how you negotiate a contract in mountain biking. You know, this is a breakdown. This is the hard lessons I learned. This is what you need to like look for. This is how you, this is how you uphold it. Like kind of just everything through to mindset, through to like merch, through to like showing the whole roadmap of like how the whole operation works. So we're both ready to open that up sort of come January and that's the next evolution of projects things that are on at the moment you certainly do love to keep busy i i, I must say you've you've got a couple of careers there under under that hat and building these skills i mean we could go in any which direction there but you keep speaking about the mentorship and uh giving giving back which we can get to later but w- who taught you that you should be reaching out who gave you the courage to you know message someone that you know, is maybe a lot more successful than you? Or did it, did someone help you first? And then you realized, okay, this is how mentorship works, or people often are very happy to give their advice. I think mentorship often feels like a one-way street, but it's not. The person giving the advice 
to someone that implements it and improves, there's a lot of fulfillment that comes from that. Oh, definitely. Like it's been a mix of learning the hard way. It's been a mix of getting some really good advice and then just leveling up. Um, I think because I was five years old, I started BMX racing. I was traveling the world at nine years old for, for BMX, going to world championships. Um, I was 13 and had a really good mentor and he would email me like checklists every day after school. And it would be absolutely wild looking back now. Like I was hungry and I'm like, no girl is making a living out of BMX. BMX isn't a, like, it's not a career, like whatever, but I like want it to be. So he was kind of brutal with me. His name was Tim Chad. And I remember like he would write, add 200 people on LinkedIn today. This is how we're going to write a proper email. This is like, you know, it was proper mentoring. And I was like, like, I've got my school homework and I've got my like brand homework. Um, And like, I, yeah, I just think that foundation was so important. It started the hustle and it started that ownership on like, when you're an individual athlete, you are making a career out of it. Like, successes on you failures on you like I mean you just you have to you can't just be a good athlete and and everything happens you've kind of got to be able to manage it all do it all and that's the most exciting part that's incredible though if you start this mentorship program and and these webinars and stuff like you're right there was no roadmap for you you've kind of just sort of paved your own way uh, you know a girl from Australia in BMX I mean that's pretty niche and, and we're still yeah. sitting here with, I looked at the website and so many brand deals and, and you're obviously aware of how to add value. You're asking for something, but you're giving something back and you've risked all sorts of things like, uh, you know, sort of funding your own video series to then hopefully sell it on. I mean, like not many athletes realize like, okay, you've got to get results, which you were. I mean, you've got the, the world championship titles. People that do that are often they'll just kind of get through their career on that, which you could say that is enough, but you sort of at always in every sort of corner were hustling. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like I, <laughs> For lack of a better um, term, it is a hustle. It is, it is you know? it's a hustle. And um, as I said, it was because it didn't exist. So like if you, I always say like, it's hard to be what you can't see. And I couldn't see the roadmap. I couldn't see, you know, a girl in my position that was making a career out of it and, I was like, oh, I guess I need to. And I don't, re- I never knew like what was going to pay off or, or how to navigate it or what to do. So I just would dive into being the best athlete I can be. And then just like always trying to hustle and understand like the business side and build relationships and have some like, I mean, Oakley's been, I've been on contract with them since 2007. So a lot of these deals that I've had have been 15, 20 year deals. Um, it's amazing when you look at it and you compound it you're like wow like this brand has stood by me through highs lows injuries setbacks like they've they've ridden the wave I'm now 32 years old and still loving it and I've been managed to like do BMX and divert and reinvent myself and come into mountain biking and do free ride and crankworks queen of queen of crankworks titles like um yeah, if you create that strong platform, which I sort of say being authentic, consistent and unique, if you have those three pillars down for social, for brand, for what you do, like the foundation's there and you can run with it. And I find that any challenging moment of my life, I just come back to that and it seems to navigate me to keep on. <laughs> 
So say it again. It's unique, authentic. What was the other one? And like consistent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a level, but that comes from being an athlete, right? Like you consistently are in the gym or training and you don't always see the results the next week, but, or consistently putting out content, right? You you can use that sort of three word pillar for, for anything you do. And I think in business as well. Tough thing in business, I've got some business on the side. You don't see the results as quick as you do with, with racing and training, Um and maybe I'm comparing too early, like a business they say is going to get through three to five years. And if you can get through that, you have a chance. So, and I think athletes at a certain point, if you think about your early careers, how many years it took to become pro or then you have your first pro race and then how many years it takes. A lot of people are on a slower trajectory than some superstars. But um, consistency is, is almost everything if you just keep at it and learning and sort of uh, adapting. Yeah, definitely. I like, I always had this like tool and I'll probably put it, I'll probably like add it into all these webinars and everything, but I had this like accountability board and like, I reckon for 15 years of my career, I was like married to that board. Like I don't have it now because I'm at a point that I'm like more flexible and um, just run off experience and like the whole flow state of everything. But this accountability board was like it was either a mirror or a wall or like some something wherever I was lived or based at the time and it would have like the calendar it would have my goals it would have the content it would have projects like I would just like put it all up there and kind of like work backwards to be like it was like slay the day it was like five things for every single day that I needed to do because I knew that if this didn't happen that didn't happen and that didn't happen and you would like take a step back and you'd go all right, like if I want to be a world champion, like I actually have to do this Monday to Friday. If I want to have this, you know, lifestyle where I'm like living out my why, where I want to have, you know, a, a career and I want to have a financial freedom for my family and all these like things that I want long term, I would be like, I'm just going to like put it on the wall and like work backwards. And I just think it was like such a powerful tool because it was, it was the accountability board and I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing this. So, <laughs> And when you would actually do everything, you'd be like, oh, I just won a world title. Oh, I'm in another Olympics. Oh, my God, this just happened. Or I just signed this contract. Or how did, how did I get on a cereal box? Like, this is insane. And you're like, oh, that's, that's why <laughs> I worked out. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you've mentioned things like manifest things. When mm -hmm. you put these things out in the universe, but then this accountability board is not – you're not sitting on the couch going, well, I'm thinking of it. <laughs> I'm yeah. <laughs> dreaming of it. You're actually going out and doing things. Like I think people forget the steps in between. There's all these action steps that you have to do. And yes. now with like instant gratification and social media and comparison, I think people just forget that consistency and actually like action steps. But so that like a mentor helped you with putting a board together or that was Caroline from Australia as a girl just realizing yeah. her own way of doing things. Bit of everything thrown in the deep end, mentors. <laughs> I mean, I love audiobooks, podcasts. Like, yeah, I'm just a sponge to it all. Um, but I really think it's that athlete mindset of being able to like have a goal and a vision and then work backwards. So even for me next year, planning out uh, probably seven major events and then five speaking events, like I'm already kind of going, like, you know, you've got to work backwards. So I'm tuning back into BMX podcasts. I'm getting mentors. I'm like, going to upskill for the whole broadcast side because 
I'm going to be doing um, V8 supercars and then road cycling and working with Red Bull again and then obviously Olympics. So like if that's the speaking leg, you just like take a step back and, you know, start tuning in now to all the steps. And I've used that same model, I guess, for everything, whether it's been diversifying into slope style or the whole FMB world tour and like learning tricks. I mean, I spent like 15 years not taking my hands off the handlebar. I was a racer. And like when I had to first do that first one-hander, T-bog, no-hander, I was like freaking out. Um, yeah, you just chip away, chip away. How many hours are there in a Caroline day? <laughs> um, I'm pretty OCD, ADHD. I don't know. I time block my days. Like I feel oh, you like do. Yeah, it helps I've been me. telling myself yeah. I need to. Otherwise, you can go in a million different directions and it can bring a bit of anxiety to the day unnecessarily. But so, yeah, you time block your days. But so you're clearly decent at prioritizing the training and riding because that's obviously primary goal. But then mm-hmm. when do you fit all the other stuff in and how do you not have your brain and, and how do you stay present, I guess, with what's the task at hand, probably the riding, the training, all that stuff? Well, the time blocking thing is really good because, as it's, like I said, it's good because in a sense, you're your own boss. You know, you could, if you want to slack off, you slack off. If you want to have a six-month off season, you have a six-month off season. Um, I find that I can't really because everything always keeps me accountable. Like um, I just signed a nutrition deal, so I know in three months' time I've got to do like a full fitness shoot. So it's like, oh, better get back in the gym. I haven't been in the gym because I've been on the road for six months, you know, so it's like, oh, welcome back, abs. So, you know, so it's like the brand sometimes and all these opportunities and everything, like it does keep you super accountable. Um, but, yeah, I find the time blocking thing really helps me, especially because like I'm doing a lot of like concussion rehab at the moment for my eyes and my brain. Um I found over – so I had a really bad concussion at Whistle last year in speed and style, under-rotator, backflip, whiplash, like stretch it off. Um, my vision changed at that point and my ability to focus at high speed. I knew that there was a shift. And I've spoke to a few other riders within mountain biking like Robin Gooms and it's just so common. Everyone is like, oh, yeah, I'm not the same after concussions or – you know, like, oh, I have this vision problem too, or I see that little fairy dotted spotty friend that you're talking about. And we all go through it and we're like, I know that I parked it for 12 months and I didn't do anything about it. And I knew come the end of this season, I was like, ah, I need to go do something about it. So yeah, I actually got tested three and a half weeks ago in Melbourne and it was awesome. Like it was two and a half hours of testing with this like neuro Cairo brain guy down there that works with all the WSL World Surf League and our footballers in Australia and he was able to test like honestly everything from your health your heart rate your memory your balance your inner ear your vestibular your eyes like I learned so much and he was able to pinpoint exactly what had been affected by concussions and then give me a program every day which I've been doing for like three and a half weeks so that's also part of the time blocking and like trying to manage I knew this off season it was like kind of important to like prioritize the concussion side as well as you know leveling up speed and style tricks having this off season getting ready for Craig Works next year and everything else but that concussion side of it was something that was like definitely 
frame of mind all year and on a lot of athletes' minds. You want to know what to do about it and there isn't a roadmap. And I um, I even said to this um, concussion guy, I said, you know, everyone's in this guessing game. You don't really know how long do you spend off? How can you do this rehab? So, yeah, he's given me like a whole 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at lunch, 20 minutes at night. And, yeah, it's I work to like – memory stuff to have this like laser on a hat and I have to like trace a line and spin around and read these numbers. Um, yeah, your eyes have a lot to do with your brain and concussion. So yeah, I'm seeing improvements already and I'm just like. I was going to say, can you see tangible improvements through the through this rehab? Oh, definitely. Like already. Um, because like last year I went and got my eyes tested and they were like, oh, you're like optic nerve pressure's too high and you could have a brain tumor and they're like threw all these things at me I was like whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm good like I've just had a few concussions like maybe 10 plus but and... <laughs> yeah, just a few that I can remember <laughs> yeah just a couple I mean it's part of the job and um one of these eye doctors was like gave me the talk how many career titles you won what have you know and I was like <laughs> no like we're not having this conversation like it was, I love what I do and it's my passion it's got to be something you can do about it but there is, there is people out there that are now not just saying, oh, you've had too many concussions, retire. They're going, let's do some rehab. Let's, you know, reset what you've damaged so that you not only have that health as an athlete, but you have that health long term. And that was one of my biggest questions I said to them. I was like, hey, like, CTE and dementia and like all these things, like they're pretty like frame of mind for a lot of athletes now. And it was really good knowledge. He just said to me, he goes, there's not enough There's not enough research that's gone into it. There's people now getting CTE that aren't even athletes that haven't even had head hits like opioids and all these things affect CTE. So he just said, park it, do your job, don't stress about it. And that was just like pretty awesome to hear that from one of the best Cairo neuro um, people in Australia that's working with World Surf League and AFL and all of these big sanctions right now. Yeah, because otherwise the doubt and, and maybe guilt builds up if you don't have the answers. But I've read, I've obviously had a fair share of concussions as well and set out some races. And I've been a big proponent of getting one doctor. And I know Crankworks has one, um, Ewan, and I've had him on the podcast. So We've deep dived concussions as well. So yeah, I've definitely wouldn't call myself an expert, but definitely a proponent of how careful we should all be uh, and find doctors and help. But anyway, I was reading a book and I don't know if they spoke about, but learning new skills, like things like dementia, right? I'm not going to compare it to CTE, but at a certain level, there is a way to delay the onset, even if you are susceptible to it and learning a new skill um, helps maybe if there's a, and I won't get the correct doctor terms but you know like if there's a wiring that's not working and you're learning a new skill there's like different ways to get to an end result um and that that was good that people realize like even in a, in a normal walk of life like learning a new skill social sleep and eating and exercise like it's all the basic stuff and then you layer <laughs> yeah, it with, with maybe <laughs> yeah yeah it, unfortunately like health and all these things is like if you do the basics really well you can get ahead yeah Definitely. So that was really good. And for anyone listening, I mean, I was worried about it for a while. And just to hear that firsthand myself, like that was what I needed to hear to be like, oh, the green light. Like, you know, I, I trust in like my bell helmet and everything that I run. And 
um, while sort of doing this sort of more freestyle, like free ride uh, tricks and everything. Like I, I run a mouth guard purely just from that standpoint of like um, the absorption that your teeth have apparently ha- affects concussions a little more. So yeah, trying to try to do the best I can, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's um, what we sign up for and it's part of our career. But if you can do the work like I'm doing now and just have that little bit of a reset, like I'm already seeing, yeah, just benefits with obviously my vision, my eyesight and just my ability to like focus. Like I really did start feeling like quite ADHD and scattered and noticed like a little bit of my memory and everything like wasn't as good. And um, now it's, yeah, I'm like coming back into myself. I'm like, oh, we're, in, we're three and a half weeks in. I'm going to Melbourne this weekend doing a retest. And yeah, it's been the best thing I've done. Yeah, that's awesome. And this um, career in BMX and you see you're doing this presenting and the commentating. Was I correct? Have you done the commentary for the previous Olympics as well? No. Or is, is this going to be the first one? First. Yeah, so oh, I only be- took on two jobs. I've only done Nitro World Games and then Red Bull Roof Ride. Nitro World Games and- is my first. And that was all presenting, right? I saw those clips and I, I thought you did an incredible job and you're fun and well-spoken and, and you're audible. You know, I think people have to understand what the question is. And you can relate, even though the sports are different. I think you can relate on the emotions and what they're feeling. So I thought the questions were really good as well. So is that, yeah, because I was going to say, like, are you at peace with moving away from BMX? But I think you've only going to really understand and feel that commentating an Olympics where you're not competing. So maybe that's something we'll talk about after the Olympics. But as far as the BMX career and, and, and where you're at now with mountain biking, are you at peace with that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like I can say I, when I stepped away from BMX, it would have been three and a half years ago when I didn't qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. It was one door closed and the next one opened. I got a call from Audi 9's two days later and they're like hey we have a women this year do you want to come and it was COVID and everything and I was like yeah I'll be there and just dove into like the women's world first front flip and like hit the airbag and like started learning that and was like all right we're going to Germany like we're gonna hit this Audi nines like let's go to a world first and um I think after all of that like it was the best thing for my career because I'd always like mountain biking was my love I always said it was the thing that's given me longevity in my career, like it's that yin and yang. Like BMX was high pressure, high performance, Olympics, like eat this, wear this, do this, structure, drug testing, like everything, you name it. And then mountain biking was like, you run your own show, like cool, show up at Crankworks, do whatever race you want, go to four cross worlds, downhill worlds. Like I sort of dabbled in everything, um, had fun with it. So it was always that, it was always that real positive like outlet. And when I finally hung up my bike with BMX, I just said, you know, I put it in the bag and I was like, I'll bring it out when my kids go to the BMX track, hopefully one year. And I still have it. Like it's in my garage and hopefully my kids want to do BMX, but if they don't want to do BMX. Like I don't really mind. Um, yeah. And now I'm just like really enjoying mountain biking and also feel at peace too with now that I've found this passion with speaking. I didn't realize that it would be something that I'd be really passionate about but to be overlapping that still within my professional career now gives me that little peace of mind that a lot of athletes 
they always say, you know, you get to the end of your career and you're like, oh, what do I do now? I'm kind of stoked that I'm doing things that I'm passionate outside of the sport as well as still doing the sport. Yeah, so do you think it's almost like having a side hustle that starts to take off and then you can either go into it or not, but it 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 seems to have taken the pressure off yourself on your career, knowing like, well, I've got a passion, clearly a skill set, people are hiring me already. Because um, I got asked about commentating and, and these presenting things before I hung it up as well. So I would say that I had a softer landing uh, after retiring. And I think that is one of the hardest things. And it is spoken about, right? People go into heavy depression, they abuse substances, they do. And it's, and it's because of that identity thing is is totally gone if you're not good at reflecting and, and working on that. But I still think it takes years. You know, I I couldn't be happier on the side of a downhill track <laughs> yeah. at the moment. I mean, I am, it's almost bliss. I went to the top of uh, Leger World Cup and Brendan wanted me to, help him warm up so I was the trainer the mechanic he shouldn't have asked me to be the mechanic but anyway nothing fell off the bike no I'm joking they had they had experts at the bottom but uh he rode past me and he said uh are you happy you're not going to the start line and I I can't lie to him I said I couldn't be more happier than than I ever expected I would be but it's taken say seven years but um this identity thing and career like you had this horrific accident right which was not related to actually riding a bike and doing what you do. So, and and listening to it was super unlucky from what I can gather. Like you didn't seem like you were causing too much trouble, or the person driving was. But you mentioned the the loss of identity. Have you almost been forced to deal with it already? I think so. Yeah, I think fortunately I already had that two years being out of sport and. I had that completely stripped away with me. Like I didn't know would I return to riding a bike. I was in an off-road vehicle accident that had rolled with my friend, like a Can-Am down a fire road at New Year's. We weren't even going that fast. We're going back down to like the campsite and it's just an unfortunate mistake and we weren't wearing helmets. We weren't wearing seatbelts. So we both fell out, but the vehicle crushed me. So as I went under it, I caught the roll cage, rolled under it, the whole way to the Can-Am basically like snapped my chest, my sternum bones punctured my heart wall, my heart wall bled out into my lungs, double punctured and collapsed both my lungs. They call it a pneumothorax. So then I had like lung drains in, went to hospital, broke my nose. Um, yeah, so lucky I'm even alive, um, to be honest. Like if it was a little bit higher, a little bit lower, it would have been dead or paralyzed. Um, so the fact that like survived that and then – went through three sternum surgeries, like signed dotted lines with like 50% mortality rate. If something went wrong with the surgery or I had an infection around my sternum bone because it's so close to your vital organs, I mean, yeah, you're completely numb. You're going through like, what is life? What's my purpose? Like, what's my why? Why am I here? How can I give back? How can I lead from the bench um and that was sort of yeah it was the best two years of my life when I look back now because I started kids books I really dove into my mentoring I went to events and just you know worked on signature merch I then started designing gloves and bikes and product and everything now which is like um the royalties and collaborations that I've got on the side I did that when I wasn't on the bike because I was like, you know, how can I sort of navigate all of this? Um, 
and then once it was that blessing when I did finally heal after two years and step back into my sport, like everything was a bonus, everything was a win, super grateful for everything from that point on, never took anything for granted. Um, and I think now it's like, yeah, I was stepping into any future career, like I could finish riding tomorrow and I'd be completely okay with it. Like I think that sort of showed with Crankworks this year, it was I wrapped up the title with two events to go and I was drinking beer with Maxis at the tent being like, all right, this is sick. Like a, awesome watching you girls send it. This is great. Like, I'm okay with this. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a unreally positive mindset to something that must have been pretty emotionally, you know, horrific at the time. Like hindsight's obviously the easier way to deal with it. And you, but you seem to always look for a silver lining, but were they, I mean, what, what was the self-talk like through some of these surgeries and, and that process of, maybe not coming out the other side or maybe not being able to ride again. I mean, those thoughts must have crept in, right? Yeah, I got really good at um, understanding that there's only two things we can control and that's your attitude and your effort. They're the only controllable. So it was like every day, how could I control my effort to that day or my attitude? Um, really just being a lot more grateful for like small things. So like stripping it back to the absolute now and like thinking in the now a lot of the, you know, whether it's like depression or anxiety or anything, it's those thoughts in the future, it's those thoughts in the past and it's only life's hardest moments really bring you back to like actually working in the now and um, that was sort of what I had to do and then just remind myself that that this too shall pass, like every amazing high that I'd had in my career, a world title or an Olympic Games or David Beckham staring back at me on the Olympic start gate, like that moment passed, you know, and then every injury that I'd had, that moment passed, like everything's going to pass. So it's like, how can you just manage your effort and your attitude and be grateful like right there and then? Um, that's sort of what I did every day for two years to to get through. And then obviously that did pass. And like, here we are today, back in mountain biking, back healthy, you know, back on the bike um, and not afraid as soon as one of the surgeons said to me like you know your chest is bolted you got wires plates cables like you're good um a, you can't do this same injury on the bike like you're basically cleared to go uh I was like all right coach put me in <laughs> let's go <laughs> that's incredible yeah I know that saying as well this too shall pass and there's a store like an old sort of wives tale of a father and his son and uh the, the son has a horse and someone comes and steals the horse and then they go oh that's so unlucky and he says well we shall see and and the <laughs> fable carries on and and then the horse comes back oh you're so lucky and your son's so lucky well we shall see and the next day the horse falls on the sun breaks his leg well we shall see and then the next next few weeks people get called off to war but the son can't go and it carries on like that and the father just kept saying we shall see you know it's almost like the, this too shall, shall pass. But you had to sort of keep reminding yourself. It's not just this natural thing that Caroline Buchanan has this positive mindset. It's like you have to wake up and decide or remind yourself with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a choice. And, yeah, I think I'm just, like, quite open to, as I said, education and podcasts and, like, just being a sponge and, like, helping and my family and friends and who I surround myself with, like the mountain bike industry is amazing like that. Some of my greatest friends like work for Trek and work for all these brands and 
I think that's just like the best thing about our, our community and like we're all so like-minded and I love traveling the world and being with everyone because we are like I you resonate with those people like you vibe with them they're your tribe and um yeah I'm just I'm, I'm so glad that I found my footing and like what I do in the mountain bike world because it is it's it's in the healthiest spot for women and like you just mentioned you love being on the sideline like a really big topic this week is rampage with the women they're going to be in it they're definitely ready now and there's that pathway but I'm the first to be like oh I'm so glad I like I never want to sign up for rampage like that's you don't outside. okay no it's like completely yeah. outside of my downhill free ride kind of like I might be able to manage the tricks but not the terrain so yeah that would be one which I mean I'd love to be there interviewing the girls at the end would be more of a dream like as you said I'd love to interview them whoever's won sidelines give them high fives um it's exciting of what they're gonna what they're ready for the girls are ready now but can see it happening probably next year no seeing them at dark Fest the last two years now I was, I was at the point where and i don't want this to come out incorrect and you can help me with that i wasn't sure they would carry the speed or like the jumps would work i wasn't that i wasn't worried that the courage and skill set wasn't there i was like is it going to work with the speed because like you have to go at this thing at like some of them at 70k an hour whatever it is and that clearly wasn't an issue. And then the rest, I wasn't surprised. I mean, they were just, it was incredible to witness that progression. And, and you're obviously part of that. But with this Rampage thing, I obviously seen the pose and, and, and you know, it's, it's going all over the internet. But what, what's the full story? Were, were there talks that they wanted to be in this one year already? Like, or, because I'm also at the point, like, if they didn't plan to have the woman in, they can't just put them in at last minute. Like there's a lot of red tape or, you know, where are we at with this discussion or has it been going on for so long that it's annoying that they can't just put them in? I don't know the full ins and outs, but from what I have, I basically heard is that formation was always going to be this progression event to ideally what all the girls were hoping was to be to lead into rampage this year with formation and budget cuts and everything, not having that event, but then on top of it, not having that entry space into Rampage when, you know, there is Swatch Nines, there is Dark Fest, there is Freeride Fiesta. There's all these things going on for women's freeride and ways to make money, do these opportunities. Um, I think that sort of really inspired the girls to like have this voice and there has been like, I've been amongst a group chat on Instagram this whole last two weeks with everyone everyone chatting about it and it is it is going to happen and I think it's been good accountability like that everyone has spoken up and Pinkbike did a really good post and Red Bull has sort of mentioned like it, it's on the it's it's in the future and it's in the forecast um the girls were obviously like we're all nervous we've seen it happen in so many other sports like x games where freestyle bmx was a demo for the women for so many years and it was going to continue to be a demoed and they boycotted it and now it's not in the event at all so could this have been a turning point the same thing that it's like there would be no future um I think it's been really positive that you know there is talk for the future and the girls that want to do it are ready and they know the risks and what they're signing up to and they've had enough time and I think with all these other avenues that have opened up the girls have had that experience and they are completely completely ready 
Let's take a quick break from this episode to hear from one of our awesome sponsors. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again, drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, it was so awesome to see a dog face. Like it, it, it was so motivational as well. But what what is it like being in this industry as a woman and uh, formerly you know, a young girl from Australia and BMX and then coming into mountain biking? Like, the barrier to entry is quite difficult. And then, you know, I mean, we have to call a spade a spade. Then being a woman in this sort of male-dominated industry for a long time um, must be a challenge in itself. You know, it was, but, like, that whole narrative is just dropped now. Like, yeah, there's a little hurdle here or there, like an entry to Rampage, but you look at the broader picture of it now and this is, like, the best, healthiest position that, like, it's ever been for the industry. There is... I mean, I know firsthand that like myself and so many other women are making just as much, if not more men in our same categories. So the endorsement deals are there if you're well, money smart. Wise. Oh yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> great. That's yeah. Awesome. And I'm, you know, the first one I mentioned it to Paul Bass on a podcast the other week. Like my goal this year was win a second Queen of Crankworks title and I hustle my ass off and I've always wanted my dream car. So I'm buying a G-Wagon in the next month. And it's like, I love that the finally the narrative is like turned around. And for women, it's like, yeah, you, you can make a really prosperous career, career doing 
you don't have to be just a downhill rider. You don't have to just be BMX racing. Like if you want to be a content girl, you can be a content girl. If you want to be a all mountain free ride, big bike girl, you can be that. If you want to be Patricia slope style, only FMV, like that's an avenue for you. Like it's rad to be like, you can be whatever you want to be now and there's career paths and um, yeah, I mean, it's unreal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm glad because it was challenging for me and then now I can be like these women coming through like are in a really healthy time in the industry. Yeah, but I mean you've almost paved the way as, as one of them at, at the front of it. What's that like? Is there weight on your, your shoulders? You know, I spoke to Tane and uh, someone from South Africa asked me to get something from her at Worlds. And then I'm like, this, you know, a little young girl from South Africa. I mean, could you imagine how many other girls around the world in a place where there's more popular, you know, Tane is even more popular. And I said, you know, this must be quite overwhelming at stages, uh, sort of being the spokesperson for downhill women and, and, you know, your social media presence and stuff. And she said, yeah, it really can be, but she's learning to sort of be grateful for it and embrace it as giving back to the sport. Yeah, you've got to, like it goes in waves. Um, as I said, it's kind of really good accountability just to, you know, when days that you don't want to step up or days that you don't want to go out there or you have that typical like girly cry meltdown, everything gets like completely overwhelming, you know, you step back up to the plate. Um, I love that. Like I'm I'm glad and I, I feel like when I went through all my injuries and everything, uh, I had a really good mentor that works with all of the Red Bull athletes. His name's Nam. And he just said, Hey, like, let's just dive into your why a little bit. Like, why do you, like, why do you think, why do you think you're in this position? Like, why do you think, why do you think you're here? And, um, you know, we just spoke about, like, I think I was part of this generation and part of the athletes that maybe were, ready and destined to like bridge the gap between male and female dominated sports and do that hardship and then like leave the ladder down. And that's the next chapter of the future career with these webinars and masterclasses and everything um, to give back. So I think if, you know, it might be like, that might be a really big spiritual look on everything, but it definitely helped me. And, you know, I'm glad that it takes a bit of the weight off as well as just the the appreciation for it all, yeah. I don't mind. You can get spiritual on me. I know uh, <laughs> I've got. I'm fascinated because you've been on a silent retreat. Uh, that yeah. might be uh, my worst nightmare. Even though I'm sure it'll be very, very beneficial. Um, and that was there was Buddhist monks there and, and other things, right? Yeah, I did it in California after one of my injuries and. Like I didn't have much going on at the time and it was like a it was like a 90% noble silence. So, yeah, you were doing all like cleaning and mindfulness meditation and I was like sweeping their driveways for three hours. Like um, it was so hard and I was like at any point I can leave, um, but I didn't. You know, I was stuck it out for the week and you had the Dharma talks and the education with all these monks and Come, I reckon about like day three, I thought I was going to lose my mind, started journaling and was like trying to slow down from the chaotic like world that you normally live in. And then, you know, you hit like day four, day five and you're like, all right, it's 5 a.m. The gongs are going off. Like, let's get up. We're going to go up to the meditation. We're going to sit for 45 minutes. And yeah, you know, you don't really interact with anyone else that's like staying there. And it was wild. It was the best thing I ever did to just tap into like 
by the end of it, I was like, I am so high. Like, I am so happy and I'm so high and this is insane. And I've just sat with myself for a week. <laughs> what? Oh, and, and that you can get so much out of just sitting with yourself. Oh, like, yeah. How, yeah. How yeah, ironic yeah. is that? Yeah, how ironic. You're like, I'm just sitting here with my breath and I'm so happy and the, the sky is so nice. and what like The sky is actually so blue. <laughs> it's literally like, yeah, but oh, I was terrified. I remember like, I could leave at any point. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. So the hard, I mean, you've obviously said like just being with yourself, but I just want to understand it more. Like just, you just going mad with thoughts in your head. Like where were you? And you're like, I, I, I might just leave like after day three. What is, <laughs> what is that self-talk like? You're like, I well, can't I mean, believe I signed up for this. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't know anyone. Where am I? I'm like in the middle of nowhere in this like, buddhist retreat with like monks and they're going about their normal daily life and here i am and you know you go on like a walking meditation but everyone's singing and i'm like not the kind of person i'm like i'm an action sport like mountain bike girl like i'm used to being around like my tribe and my people and um you know you get there and you're just like singing as a group and then you're walking and you're counting your steps and they say like every hundred steps put a finger up and then you get you know you see you counting you get to the end of it and um I don't know. It's just like absolute, absolutely just like pure life. It was hard, wild, but really good by the end of it. Yeah. And did you, were you you able to really bring the learnings of that into real life, like consistently over time? Because, you know, if you take like a, a social media detox or a phone detox, and within a day or two, you just like fall back to a lot of your old habits and things like that. Small ones. Yeah. I think like uh, even when you would eat, you know, you'd had to like sit there and you'd have to wait until everyone in the room sat down. So it was like you're waiting for 60 odd people before you even started eating. And then you would, you couldn't finish your meal until the monks or the sisters finished their meal. So you had to pace yourself and you had to eat slowly and everything was vegetarian and like it was just wild. Um, but then, yeah, I think in life, like when you do have those moments of like, oh, I'm realizing like I'm a little bit down or I'm scattered or I'm not present or, you know, whatever it is, you have these like tools that you could pull upon and then I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to like drink my coffee a little slower today or, you know, whatever it is, like, yeah, I don't do this all the time. Um, but I think if you can like dive into all these like things that are available and you can pull those skill sets, like it's definitely helped me be a performer on the bike and be an athlete and um, yeah, I mean, deliver and be consistent over like the last two years with two Queen of Crankworks titles um, and manage all of that. Like there, there were so many times I was terrified. I mean, riding Stevie Smith's downhill track this year, I was like, I'm out. That did look <laughs> I terrifying. Wanna, I, don't I, don't even wanna, I don't even want to like attack this. This is my biggest weakness, but yeah. So, so, and if you could take us into the mind of Caroline before these moments or maybe before a start line, I know you are famously for using meditation, breathing techniques. What does it, what does that look like? Um, let me give a moment this year, probably. I feel like definitely the ones like slalom, speed and style, pump track, like pretty high pressure um, events. I always breathe into like my 
chi, which is like my lower like stomach. Um, big believer in like just calming your mind and always tell myself like everything you need is inside of you. Like when you turn up to a start gate or a race, like you don't need any external things on that day. So those little like reminders that everything you need is inside of you, like you got this um, to control your breathing because like you can't change anything until that red light goes. Um, trying to just be like really present. I mean, that's sort of what's helped me because uh, the training is done when the grandstands are empty. The training's done, like your preparation is done prior. Um, learning Superman Seat Grab Indian Airs, like that was done five months in advance before I even brought that out at, at Innsbruck this year. So, yeah, trying to just be like calm in the moment, listen to music, um, talk to friends, and then, yeah, get the job done. <laughs> I was gonna say that's easier said than done, but that is hundred percent fact. Like all the work and preparation are done. Like it should technically be like a bonus, the race, but that's where we get the most nervous. That's where we look for outside sort of inputs. Oh, you're looking good, you're looking fast. It's well if you were I think your mentorship program's gonna be incredible because I was thinking like shucks, I wish I used half of these techniques back when I was racing. I'm sure I had my own ones, but Sometimes you forget them and, you, and it's those simple sort of things that you've just mentioned. Yeah, because everything is like hundreds of a second. You might miss a little turn in slalom or you might not keep your eyes up in a turn in pump track or like it can just be the most basic body position, breathing, um, whatever it is. Uh, like and for me, I really break it down. Like I know on a slalom track, say like Cairns this year, you don't break until the finish line. It is 100% flat out and all I would focus on is like staying forward and keep my eyes up because it, when I was up at the start gate, I was like, stay forward, eyes up, stay forward, eyes up. And when you're attacking, it's like if you're staying forward, you got traction on the front wheel, you're going to corner better, you know, eyes up. It's like you're already 10 steps ahead so you know turn, flat turn, braking, corners, whatever. Those like two little cues, so – yeah, I like to just like break everything down, keep it super simple, work on things like body technique and, and everything and that delivers the – I was always trained in BMX, like don't think about the outcome, think about the performance and the performance will get you the outcome. So little things like those two things in slalom get, get you a Craigberg slalom win. Yeah, like the process, like what can I control or what, yeah, those things you focus on, not exactly not I have to win this heat or whatever. You're like, okay, it's so simple, right? Your brain can just then, there's so many things in between a win and the start gate, but you you just simplify and say, well, I'm eyes forward, blah, 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 like these action keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so so this Queen of Crankworx title, what does that like mean to you compared to world championship titles? You've had so many, been to Olympic Games, you know, you've had some of the, the biggest accolades in the sport. And now this sort of, I don't know, rebreath of your, your career here in mountain biking. It was amazing. Last year, I didn't expect to win it. Um, I was doing the F&B series at the time. So I was doing a slope style event and had won a big white and was going to like district ride and had never even ticked off a whole gold district ride course before. So I had all these other external goals, kind of got to the second last round and did the math and it was Geordie, Scott, myself and Vire and was like, oh, I think I need to get on the downhill bike. Like I might actually be in contention for this and – I'd come off a, done my AC 
over rotating a front flip in district ride right before Cairns. So I'd got that rehab under and went into Cairns and was like, all right, I'm taking my downhill bike. Like, let's do this. Let's get uncomfortable. Um, it's easy to stay comfortable, but I was like, all right, let's get uncomfortable. Let's do it. And then, yeah, when I wrapped that one up, like it was kind of a dream. I never knew that like I would really achieve. I'd always aspired and like really been inspired by Jill Kinder. We always went head to head years ago in mountain biking, but I never truly like thought of myself as a mountain biker. Like I was this BMX background pump track person, like never, never dropped the title of BMX background. Um, and I think last year starting to win slow. Probably half my fault in the commentary booth, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, probably. You were, <laughs> you were probably part of it. <laughs> but finally, yeah, like once I actually started winning some other events in mountain biking um, and then this year you have that belief, you know, the process, you know, all right, I'm going to be traveling with 130 kilos worth of baggage, four bikes, five events, you know, your tires from the year before, you know, what's worked, you know, the venues, you know how to navigate it. I had support from Trek that was like my mechanics. Um, I have the partner hotels like the Ava Hotel in Whistler. I had the Millennium Hotel in Rotorua. So you have these hotels, you have the relationships, you have everything for the foundation of you to go, all right, like I can lean into this title, which is quite logistical and, and achieve it. And yeah, this year it was like amazing to do a second one and look back and be like, that was unreal, but it, yeah, it took this huge team, which I'm so grateful. Was there more uh, pressure this year with like the support and expectations? Like, would second have been a failure or more big of a failure? Like, where was your mindset? Um, I really wanted it, but yeah, like, I don't think it would have been a failure at all. Um, didn't really feel like there was pressure. I think that's the Creekworks environment, like. Because you, I think that's the benefit when you are an individual athlete and you run your own team, you don't have like, you're, you're not a World Cup downhill athlete. You know, you're not, you're not married to that team. You don't have their external 15 sponsors that are signed up for that year and the pressure for you to perform. For me, I have partners that it's like, whether I win, lose or draw, whether I race, whether I don't race, whether I say to them, hey, I'm hanging up the black tomorrow. They'll be like, that's fine. I think that's like the that's the value of like building a brand and uh I just think like that really helps so much to then have that security to want to be a performer and then like enjoy the ride. Like if you have this foundation that you're not worried about your sponsors or the support or the pressure or you got to win or whatever, if you have the relationships, you have the foundation, then you can just go out there and like enjoy it. And this brand you speak about, your your dad sort of instilled this like at an early age, probably before you understood a brand. I mean, we all understand brands now. It's like a big buzzword, right? All over social yeah. media and <laughs> athletes are brands and companies are brands and brand identity. But your dad helped you with that a lot back in the day, right? Yeah, he did. Like I think I was 13 and I'm like, dad I want to be a professional BMX band that he's like all right well he's <laughs> in IT and he's like you better start hustling like this doesn't even exist um and yeah just he just helped chip away um I mean I was definitely hungry so they recognized that and just helped place me in the right environments but yeah he helped me like build out gifts for my signature unit range that I had when I was 
14 years old. It was like I was one of UNIT's first ever athletes and we had like a hat and a T-shirt and something else and we managed to like hack the forum. So there wasn't Facebook. There wasn't anything back then. Um, you know, we hacked like the community BMX forum and put like a web ban adder directing people to my merch and then I was getting the royalties and I was helping fund my my travel at the time. And yeah, I mean, it's addictive. Like dad was always so just like, oh, illegally hacked. Right. <laughs> well, is he that had what you mean? In. He had the login, oh, but the maybe login. not. Maybe not technically. We weren't meant to be like self marketing, promoting. So he he borrowed some <laughs> space for a little bit. I love that. Yeah. That's the hustle. Yeah. yeah hey, is. but I mean, it was for a good cause. It was to get you to races and and to these world titles. Yeah, I'm, I'm and so teasing. many of the athletes. Yeah, so many of the athletes have like their same journey of of their hustle and how they've made it or. Um, you know, I did all those first few years traveling around Europe, like staying with friends and sleeping on fours and and everything. You've you've got to put in the hard yards, but it will it will pay off. And um, yeah, I think if you stay authentic, if you stay unique, and you're just consistent with your training, with your messaging, with your brand, like it, you'll get there. Was there a point that there was doubt that you would? sort of make it you say like you know sleeping on floors and all these things was there a point that you're like this is you know enough is enough maybe I should go another direction um I mean I was typically like oh you're distracted around 14 and you're at school and there's other avenues that you could be going down but no I think like whilst it was hard like I was lucky I had like my family to lean back on and just like applied for different scholarships like Lane Beachley had a scholarship at the time and when someone says like I believe in you those words can have so much value and weight and she was a seven-time world surf champion and she said you know like I believe in you here's a couple of thousand dollars through my scholarship but it was more important that she just said you know you're gonna beat seven world titles I was like bullshit that's not gonna happen and then I passed a goal and years later I was like hey Lane guess what and she's like I told you knew you would um yeah so now that's been like a big part of like why I started my scholarships with Ignite and have put $130,000 back into women in sport bringing girls to Crankworks like um yeah you know when I say to them like I believe in you like I know how much weight that had on my journey and my career so yeah I I love that just as much like being at Cairns Crankworks this year and turning around and seeing Indy Lambert, who was powered by Ignite and Mazoki, she was there with her Mazo product on. She was racing three events. She got gold, silver, bronze. She's on the podium. Mum's crying. And I'm like, this is the best. Like, I can't believe I connected the dots to, to you know, funnel that and make that happen and mentor and give her that belief. And she was like DMing me that week being like, how do I even do a chainless gate start for a pump track? I've never done this. And she's like at the BMX track and she's like sending me videos. And I'm like, get your body weight back more, do this, lean forward, eyes up, like whatever. Um, yeah, it's cool. I love that. That's incredible. It must be so fulfilling, like when you see them sort of standing on their own two feet after your help. Oh, it is. Like I just, I think more people need to do it. More athletes should set up more mentoring things, webinars, like how-tos. That transparency, I just will give so many people, so much people more hope. There's so much like, secretism like within our industry you don't know like what do I do how do I navigate this like what do I ask for from a brand I don't want to undervalue myself I don't want to undercut someone else it's like I think yeah that's really part of like what I want to do with this platform with Taylor is just open that up and be like here's a bit of a roadmap here's a bit of transparency 
Yeah, that's so true when you're in it. Um, well, the contracts as well, like he's not meant to speak about the salary and like it's quite an odd sport compared to other sports where the salaries are open and then you know, hang on, that guy's getting that. My results or women are the same or better. My brand's got to be more powerful. Hey, I should be asking for more. You know, there's at yeah. least some comparison bidding, but between the UCI and the teams, I don't think they're going to open that up. They probably don't want to open that. Why would you? Rather keep yeah. it a secret, you know, and then you don't know how to back yourself. What Do you think it should be more open book? I think so, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It'll just help, obviously, inspire and motivate this whole next generation coming through that doesn't understand it. But then it is also transparency, vice versa, not just about getting more, but understanding, like, is a brand going through a rebrand? Has some other company just bought them out? Like, I've gone through that myself. And, you know, you have to be patient and understanding, um, I went through it, not getting paid royalties, not getting paid salary. Um, you know, I can't mention the brand, but they, these things happen. So, yeah, I think if everyone's talking about it and it's like, how do you navigate that to know, keep the relationship, it'll compound over time. That's probably like the biggest message that I've learned is when you get to the end of your career and you look back and you say like, this has been an epic 20-year contract with you guys, like, don't jump ship because someone offers you like an extra thousand dollars or don't jump ship when someone burns you because they've gone through a little bit of a tough time or a rebrand or some other brands bought them out and they owe you $2,000 for a product, like whatever it is. Um, yeah. It's just stay authentic. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It comes back to the three authentic and, and consistent yeah. and unique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, part of me, yeah, I think it, it, it should be more open, you know, uh, mm -hmm. from the salaries to these discussions and, and maybe, you know, I think people might be like, it's crazy that you don't talk about, well, certain athletes in their friend group or their people, they trust, they will speak about salaries because then you can compare and go, okay, results are better he's going to get more but i should probably be in this range and what are you yeah. doing like with these renewals and i've had these discussions i said well what does 10 years down the line look like you could go now for two three year deal it'll probably be a lot more but what does that look like in 10 years or where do you want to be like you say this it's like a compound effect if you can have longevity with a brand you might earn a little bit more uh, less here and here and there but do you want some security? It depends what you want, right? Some people want to milk it and that's also fine if you're willing to take the risk on the other side. Yeah. And you got to look at it long-term. You got to look like five, 10 years into the future and be like, oh, I don't want to take this media budget now because that's not physically going to my pocket. But hey, this media budget for this film is going to be the perception or the or like credibility that I need to get a paid deal from another sponsor. So everything helps each other and yeah being patient definitely <laughs> long term like it, it will pay off yeah but that's it's, it's a good trick for anyone like looking you know 10 years down the line or five and looking back like where do you want to be like you say okay so someone's not willing to pay you but they're giving you some cool content well you can put that into your basket and you tell your other sponsors but this is the content i got for you for free because someone else is paying for it. So that is a big game these days in the industry. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, Boost Mobile on my hat, they're not my biggest paying deal, but they are the biggest broadcasted piece on my helmet. They spend the most amount of money to put my face 
all around Australia on billboards, um, in every supermarket. So when you go to the checkout, there's always like the Boost Mobile ads. It's got my face with Sally Fitzgibbons and like many other athletes. You know, when you go and purchase a phone, it's like, boom, there we go. Uh, so the brand value of what they can provide tenfolds, like every Boost ad I'm on a Trek bike. Every, yes, exactly. You know, every, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like looking at the big picture, um, definitely is a big part of the whole brand too so I look forward to it I mean I hope that there's people listening that especially young girls it's not going to just be for the girls um it's going to be guys and girls but we're going to open up this platform and have some webinars and Q&As and just kind of see like what people want to know and use that as a little bit of the discovery into the master classes of like what we could really break down between Taylor and myself It'll be fun. Yeah, that's that's unreal. No, it definitely will. And it, what about so this so back to your mentorship program because we kind of glossed over it. Like it's when did it start? Yeah, maybe give some info on it. Uh, I've looked into it, but the listeners probably not all of them have. It started as Buchanan Next Gen. I crowdfunded initially just to like help some girls get to the world championships. So sold off one of my Olympic bikes and a rainbow jersey and like coaching with me and just like pulled 15 grand initially and then started that way to like help. Um, And then it diversified into going from like a team into more of a scholarship because I wanted to put the ownership back onto the girls that they would apply and I would help be able to bridge that gap. So it ignites their dreams. So I say to them, you know, what's a gap in your career? So for example, I had a freestyle BMX girl called Sarah and she said, I really need an airbag and I need like 16 one-on-one coaching sessions. I need to upskill myself because I want to go to the Olympics. Um, So she's actually on the team, like the long list team at the moment. She's vying for Olympic spots for Australia at the moment for freestyle BMX. Um, Yeah. So she that was her her journey and what she needed like six years ago so the five thousand dollar scholarship literally went towards buying her that airbag getting her those coaching sessions and then a thousand dollars goes towards content so i help mentor her to go this is how you talk to a photographer videographer this is how you know you're doing this on your own but i'm just there to like lend the helping hand um and then using my platform as well as Ignite, as well as whoever's powered that scholarship at the time. So bringing in Marzocchi, bringing in Trek, bringing in Fist, bringing in merch royalties, like that's sort of how I've been able to funnel in that $130,000 and deliver it back to the girls. Um, then they're obviously accountable because they're like, hey, I've got this goal. They then understand the value of um, delivering to a sponsor they then see the content, the story online, um, and they, they tick off their dreams and they get like closer to that goal. So that's sort of how Ignite works. Um, and pretty excited to like bring on another one towards the end of this year with Keir Serlin. Uh, she's like a young up-and-coming freestyle BMX girl. So she'll be the next Ignition. Ignition, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm literally just stealing ideas. I'm like, oh, that's I could I could make that work. Yeah, I need to get some South Africans to worlds or something like that. That's cool that that's yeah. how it started, you know, and then it's mm-hmm. branched off into all these other sports. Like, how do you fund it then? Is it crowdfunding again? Do you have different partners for that? Like, what's your goal with funding it? 
so it started as crowdfunding and then it just literally opened up to me speaking to my partners that I work with already and every brand has normally a marketing budget they'll then have like a brand budget which is normally involving like sponsorship a lot of brands now have like a philanthropy budget which is like a give back so they can tap into a whole different one which doesn't normally go towards athletes but it's like oh like a mazoki or a trek or someone these big corporate brands will be like oh, we have corporate responsibility, let's give back to these girls. Um, So, yeah, it's just seeing these opportunities and I guess helping these young girls because I've been in that position of going, I don't know how to, I don't know how to go to my first Crankworks. And, um, you know, I think like, for example, for Indy going to her first Crankworks this year, it was helping her mum and like, how do you pack a bike bag? How do you get there? She got there and like something had broken and, you know, so it's like I knew the local bike shop. So I'm like, hey, go to this bike shop in Cairns. They'll sort you out. And then the mechanics are there helping her. And then, you know, her bike breaks. So she like runs into the, the Red Bull tent in Cairns and she actually like, I wasn't competing at that time on one of my bikes. So like my Magura brakes went onto her bike so she could compete real quick. And it's like, you know, you make it work and she walks away with podiums, but like that would have never happened unless, you know, you, you give that opportunity. So yeah, it's pretty inspiring. Everyone can do it. Everyone can give back. And yeah, like I don't see any money from it. I don't do any it for that reason, but you can just filter and funnel and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. I'm honestly so, so impressed uh, with for you to find the time and want to give back as well and then building that program. But I think what you're also teaching is because, you know, it's come up a lot. I chat to Brendan a bit. And you know the amount of DMs we get, but the questions are all wrong. And I think you're educating the question and 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 saying, okay, what do you need to be better? Because you're not saying, I'm going to help you write a resume to get another sponsor. You're saying, okay, so you need an airbag to get better. You need a flight to go to world championships to perform, you know, because the social media these days, we spoke about it earlier, it's like it's just this inter- instant gratification. And you're saying, no, I'm going to help you be a better rider or be a better athlete. Yes, and then we, I can help you with massaging content and speaking to a photographer. But let's yeah. get you to be a better person. And what resources do you need? And that's amazing that they're applying through that structure because yeah. it'll be, you know, if you're just handing out free ODI grips or free this, then all they're doing is they're getting, you know, getting something, but they're not getting better as an athlete. Yeah, which is exactly like, and it can it can be even just from like that encouragement or placing someone in the right environment. And for example, like one of these up and coming freestyle BMX girls, her fist scholarship, which was funded by royalties. So all I did was like designed a giraffe glove, said, this is a pretty sick design. Fist puts it out on socks, t-shirts, gloves, everything. And then the royalties, so like they're making their money. Um, the royalties come into a bucket and then that goes into Ignite. And then I just like look at everything coming in from the girls and like what they need. And I saw this girl that's like, she's already super talented. Um, She will be the future of like freestyle BMX. And she's like, Hey, I just need to be put in the right position. I need to have fun with this. Like I want to progress. And I'm like, Oh, I know the spot. Like, you know, you go over to Daniel Durs's compound, like his action sport facility. There's Angie Marino. There's, Nikita Dukaros, you're going to be around all these like freestyle Olympians. Go have fun. And like, hey, like, don't worry about like the whole film budget. You're super young. You're 13 years old. Like, 
we'll just shoot iPhone clips and like that'll keep the sponsors happy and it'll probably go better on social media because <laughs> iPhone clips go freaking awesome these days. So yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen and just like ignite what you need. And every, it's a win-win for everyone. The brands are happy, content's happy, story's happy, you know, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Lovely, lovely. Um, and, and we probably should start wrapping it up in case you run out of battery or don't want to get a charger. I but um, we can't, <laughs> hey? I'm going to plug it in as they're talking. There we go. But we can't let you go until we speak about some of these worlds first, because I mean, that is what you're doing these days is like you've switched sort of fully to free ride and obviously racing at Crankworks. But uh, transitioning from a racing background and then into these like, you know, slope style tricks, you know, you could have just done the racing side of mountain biking, but you've decided to get really uncomfortable and learn tricks that are not natural to you because you didn't grow up as a 13-year-old girl doing tricks. Yeah. <laughs> it was – Yeah. you know, it's really, it's really like, addictive yeah. actually. Like, you know, you talk uh, about not seeing that instant success or the hard work. Like freestyle is cool because you don't have to – train and do 140 kilo squats and power and sprints and everything and you know wait for that result to pay off um you know you can as I said you can learn a one-hander and instantly you're like I've learned something and you know someone else is encouraging you and you're in that real hype environment like it's such a healthy sport like I have really thrived in it and, and enjoy it and I'm glad now that like I look forward to next year because I couldn't do it this year chasing the Queen of Crankworks title. It was, it was like I was so dedicated towards it, but Crankworks were opening up Joyride and they were opening up all these like just opportunities for the girls to ride these gold slope style courses. Um, that's like a win every time. You know, you're ticking off a new feature, you're taking off a new jump. Like it is, it's so addictive and so fun in the best environment. Um, and that's what I really like. Like it's definitely challenging and I've got friends that have airbags and facilities and you know every time you're around it's that natural peer pressure so that's sort of how how that rolls <laughs> yeah it can also roll the yeah. wrong way onto the ground but airbags <laughs> yeah. and like you say the barrier to entry is a little different than the back in the day for learning these these tricks and progressions so yeah where did you come up with some of these world's first you've done the world's first front flip for a female as well as the superman indian air if I've got that correct right That's yeah superman one. seat grab indian air seat, um yeah. forgot the seat grab of course yeah like i i don't know the the front flip thing as i said it was timing i think it was that perfect combination of like the first audi nines i really wanted to achieve it i had my friend mike ross um who's one of my training partners in canberra and he was like, yeah, this is how you do it. And I remember just that little bit of confidence. He said, you know, you'll actually be able to be less blind on a front flip than you will a back flip. You'll be able to see the sky. You'll be able to see the landing. Um, if you under-rotate, you land your ass. It hurts way less than under-rotating a front uh, back flip. So, you know, just these little bit of like insights. I'm like, oh, is this actually like safer and better? And like, here we go. Let's give it a crack. And um, yeah, then like landed that and it really – I was at a time in my career that I was transitioning from BMX racing and like missing Olympic games to like really trying to heavily get back into mountain biking. So yeah, I think at the time, like maybe I had a little bit of a point to prove. I was like, you know, any, whether it's internal, external motivation, I think that was a little bit of external motivation at the time to be like, all right, this window's opening, but I'm like 
I'm not ready to quit, so let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. And those events are, are pretty fun. I must say, like the jam format and you're not pressured to do anything. It's like the hype sort of becomes sort of a leader to these tricks. Well, certainly I've noticed, you know. Oh, so much fun. And Green Hill Bike Park, where it was this year with the Swatch Nines, like the awesome part is that venue has been left now for the bike park. So, you know, anyone can go there and ride that free ride line. They've taken the skate park element away um, and the big air, but the trick jump and um, they're going to extend it for next year to extend the free ride line and have that additional legacy. So instead of most of these big Red Bull events like district ride, roof ride, they get packed up. You don't get to ride them. Um, huge budgets go into it. It's pretty cool that Swatch is like, you know, that gets left as a legacy and like people can use that bike park. So, yeah, I love it. I love already thinking about going back next year. Like it's such a such a cool environment. I mean, it's DMB playing 24-7 and it's like <laughs> it's a bit of – it's a lot, but, you know, the parties and everything is just – it's super fun. Love it. Yeah, and you're not thinking of dark face. Like, is that not the genre you are looking to go into? Um, I don't really know. I'm gonna like evolve next year. Like this year at the Swatch Nines, that big air jump that I did the Super Seed Indie on my downhill bike. I'd never even jumped a bike. I'd never jumped a jump that big on my downhill bike. So when they pulled out the airbag and I just like got comfy on it and actually realized how much more stable the downhill bike was. I'm like, this is sick. Like, why why have I not been on this? I've been on a little slope bike for the last couple of years. Um, it is really addictive. So I'm just coming off, I guess, the Crankworks, like, come down and I wanted this, like, couple of months to sort of reset and be like, what's the goals for next year? Like, is it a three-peat? Is it another Queen of Crankworks? Is it more slope style? Is it jumping on and, you know, trying to be one of those girls that are that are helping what's needed in the sport right now like I think there's this opportunity for FMB and slope and everything to obviously get into joyride and get into you know we've got the girls that are pushing for rampage to be a part of that I think is like just as much inspirational and a legacy and like a drive for me than it is to be like to go and win another crankworks title so I'll sit on it for the next little bit I'm not quite sure but I'm sort of leaning towards like having a bit more fun with everything next year and um, just trying to help what's needed in the mountain bike community a bit more is the goal. And 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 is that something you think's needed? Like the the ladies getting into slope style rampage, or where do you think there's a gap or a need that needs to be filled? Well, there's a gap in all of it, and kind of what I said earlier, like it's hard to be what you can't see, and if there's only one or two girls doing it, it's, you know, it's not necessarily a class. So the fact that now there's like really good depth starting to get involved in all these free ride events, um, there's not as much depth, I'd say, on like the slope FMB side. Like you've got girls like Patricia Durant, the absolute future of, of slope style. But to have a class, like you really do need the Almas, the Geordie, Scots, myself, like you need to go. There's eight girls showing up, riding Joyride. You're doing tricks. You're getting down. You're um, you're ready to put on a show. Um, I, I think like if we look at it, maybe like next year is like girls ticking off all these events and all these features and then 
I could see like 2025 being joyride for women. And you would like to be in that uh, on that start list, as I say? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll set it as a goal right now, but I mean, I'd be pretty happy also to be on the on the microphone at the same time. I'm kind of, I'm flowing with it and I'm like rolling with whatever comes. I, as I said, I wouldn't have been imagined that I'd be like motivated, inspired, challenged and still 32 years old. Really at the peak for my mountain bike career right now. Um, so I don't know, who knows? Greg Minar and everyone I think has just inspired so many of yeah, the mountain you know, bikers to be like, is. I message all the time, like, you're, you're the goat, you're my inspo. <laughs> That's awesome. No, he is. Like, yeah, I, I literally keep saying he needs to stop coming up on the podcast. Like, it just becomes like we do the listener questions and you could answer Greg as an answer to a lot of the question. Who's good at this yeah. and who's the best? And you're like, ah, damn it. But credit where credit's, <laughs> credit's due. And also you have got another one up on Jill. Just You can put that on your resume. You came on the podcast before her. Between oh, her and Bryn, nice. I think they're a little bit scared. That's why I'm just going to call them out. Because I think <laughs> okay. I think these stories inspire a lot of the next generation, as you know. And I think that's probably why you're also like, hey, I'll take the time. I could be doing how many other things for your career or chilling. Um, but you, you, you know, took the time. You professionally had the notes. And, and I think all the stories from people that have been a success really inspire the next generation, you know, because you hear what they did to get there or – the hard work that it took, even just hearing like that top athlete struggle, I think is inspirational to the next generation because then they understand, oh, yeah. so because I feel nervous on the start gate. But Caroline also <laughs> feels nervous, but she's got a coping mechanism, you know? She's just like, yeah. you know, you're like treading water underneath, but on top of the surface, it's just calm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Shitting yourself on the inside, but composed <laughs> the, on the outside. There you have it. <laughs> Well, I mean, other than that, maybe is there anything else this off-season is going to bring? I mean, you're obviously not going to tell me exact tricks you might want to be landing first, but uh, take us through a journey of what the off-season for you may look like leading into, say, a competition slash slopestyle year. So what are we? We're September now. So wanted to dedicate two months to all this, like, concussion rehab. Um, so, yeah, just diving into that sort of resetting a bit of that, the past injuries to my brain and just getting that confidence. Um, then obviously like every year you have to step up for speed and style. So going back to the airbags and just putting in that little bit of a time. Um, yeah. You can't get through with like a tuck no hander anymore. Like you used to, it's the girls are doing flip combos. And like, that was why like this year I had to step up and be like, right, I need to do like a tuck the toboggan, which is the same as a flip. And then I'm going to do a Superman seat grab Indian air, which is the same as a flip combo. Um, yeah. So you kind of have to like keep leveling up every year. So I'll go back to the drawing board with speed and style, um, continue this like off season base. So yeah, I go, I'm in the gym like three days a week for strength and conditioning. Um, that's like, for multiple reasons, like you got to be strong to hit the ground and then you also got to be like fit for that whole season resilience of the four stops of the world tour and then you've got potentially like eight events. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot. But I love it and I thrive on it and it's my job and I'm just so glad that I get to do do this still for a living. Um, yes, yeah, so that's like a little bit of an off-season, enjoying it, being home. It's Australia, so it's summer um getting some business stuff lined up and just prepping everything for next year 
Well, I mean, there you have it. And they can follow you on probably Instagram is probably the best place. Otherwise, your website gives you all the information on your mentorship program. Anywhere else that we can direct them to? Um, yeah, best thing right now is probably just like Instagram. So just Caroline Buchanan or at CBuchanan68 on TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, everything. Um, but yeah, obviously for the Ignite scholarships, if there's any brands that are listening, it's really open to any brand um, and I target it directly to like what they need or how they want it to be placed throughout their channels. So yeah, that's Ignite. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and, and for all you do for the sport on and off the bike. I think um, there really is, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm actually just so impressed. I'm a loss for words with how much you get done. <laughs> as well as being at the top of the sport, taking on these presenting jobs, but just giving back on the Ignite program. And like you say, just messaging someone and, and giving them tips, that can go a really, really long way. So guys, please go check out her social media. It's, uh, yeah, lots of good DNB tracks, which I enjoy on those mashups. So uh, keep keep putting those <laughs> out. Thanks for having I, I, me. Yeah, I need some lessons as well on the, on the social media stuff. I guess I just got to keep oh, using some well, of the songs that the you use. I just think the two best tools at the moment are Mojo and CapCut. That's what I've been using flat out for just what, mashing what up I content. Even, I don't even know what that means. Is it an app? So there's one called Mojo and it's an app and it delivers you like all these templates and then CapCut is really good for TikTok and Instagram. So you can literally go on there and it'll give you like the whole framework. So my like last post I did for Nobby, which is like a underwear company, it was a whole mashup for like an avocado underwear thing. And it was like, you just drag in the photos, the videos, the clips, and then it just mashes it to a song and you upload it straight away. So you, it makes oh, it, it all makes interactive. It makes it for you. Okay. It does it all for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the, the we, algorithms I, I, love it. Yeah. I, I, that's good. I, um, I don't want to show my age. I need I need all these like hot tickets on on the Instagram and the socials. They're going to keep up. But cut, yeah, cut. thanks for making the time and being being who you are. Keep it up. I'm definitely going to follow along even more now. And uh, you can go to Instagram for the listeners. You know what to do. We're on YouTube as well, so I'll put this podcast will be out on YouTube as well as some awesome clips. So go to YouTube, Moving the Needle podcast. And uh, I think the biggest thing you can do is. Give Caroline a follow if you don't, as well as share maybe this podcast with someone that can benefit from it because there were so many motivational and inspirational nuggets there. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks to our episode sponsor, ODI. Now, I've been on these and only these grips for well over 20 years. How cool is that? I clearly remember we couldn't even get them in South Africa back in the day when I was a junior. The minute I got my hands on a pair of these lock-on grips, I never looked back. They are the original lock-on. They have an incredible range of options out there. But I want to tell you a little bit about something new they're offering. Drawing on over 40 years of experience of producing performance-driven grips and feedback from their extensive network of top riders across the globe, the Reflex Grip have been engineered to reduce impacts and vibration being passed onto the rider's hands to allow you to ride more with less pain and fatigue. Reflex grips are the latest innovation in impact dampening to keep you riding longer and farther as they've been specifically engineered to reduce vibration. 
like having suspension free hands without compromising control. They use their propriety grip compound with its superior impact damping properties and couple this with responsive ribbed padding that actively flexes under your hands to reduce impacts and torsional forces. Now those are some fancy words, but let me tell you, this just really is gonna help you with less fatigue, less pain, you're gonna be able to ride longer. So what's not to like about that? Not to mention their version 2.1 lock-on grip system gives you the most reliable, slip-free grip performance available. Hey, if you wanna learn more, head over to odigrips.com or pop into your nearest retailer.